0: But how did those players get to that moment? And who built the venue and signed the contracts? Each week, we dig into the business side of sports and give you the answers. This is Sports Business Radio.
2: Come on, boy, boy, can you get it up?
0: Now, from our studios in Portland, Oregon, with Sports Business Radio, here's your host, Brian Berger.
3: Well, thanks for checking out the only show in the country dedicated to covering the business side of sports. Glad you could join us this week. Happy holidays. In our next segment... The Sports Business Radio Headlines of the Week. He's back. Tiger Woods. He's making the rounds this week. What's he doing? Is he restoring his image? Is he authentic? We'll discuss that coming up in our next segment. In segment three and four, Rand Gatlin, the president and founder of Synergy Sports. Lots of conversation surrounding Cam Newton, the quarterback at Auburn, the leading candidate for the Heisman Trophy. He's got Auburn tracking towards a national championship. But there's this cloud of controversy that is surrounding he and his father. A lot of levels of this story and several levels not being discussed. We're going to break it down with Rand Gatlin who works with universities, who works with athletes to help them comply with NCAA rules. That's coming up in both segments three and four. A couple of other notes, visit my sports business blog or download the SBR podcast on demand. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com. Become our Facebook friend. Follow me on Twitter. You'll find those icons on our homepage at sportsbusinessradio.com. I'm on Twitter at Radio. Griggs. The NFL Players Association countered with the NFL owner's proposal, and they had some... uh things that they'd like
2: to see happen with the new collective bargaining agreement. Uh, We'll discuss that coming up next. Yeah, I like that. The back and forth battle has begun. Who's saying what? What's going to happen? Very interesting story all the way around. And it's going on in the NBA as well. Lots of uh, proposals being handed
3: back and forth. Sports Business Radio Headlines of the Week coming up next, sponsored by the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. You're listening to Sports
0: Business Radio. We'll be right back. This is SBR, back with more after this.
3: This is Brian Berger from Sports Business Radio. I know many of our listeners dream of a job in the sports industry but don't know where to begin. To me, it's an easy call. Go where sports business education got its start, at the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. As the first business school in the country to offer undergraduate and graduate programs themed around this multi-billion dollar industry, the Warsaw Center offers a unique blend and strong general business training, sports business curriculum taught by industry experts, and rich out-of-classroom experiences including real-world consulting projects, study tours, and internships.
1: News bulletin.
0: At Sports Business Radio, we're always on top of what's happening in the world of sports. And each week, we break down the stories you need to know about. This is Headlines. I
1: want to be in the
3: headlines. On
0: Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio. To be in the headlines.
3: Sports Business Radio Headlines brought to you by the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. Visit warsawcenter.com for more information. Headline number one. The NFL Players Association has made what it calls a good-faith counter-proposal to the NFL's plan for an 18-game regular season addressing the player safety risks incumbent with an expanded season. This is according to ESPN.com. Here's what's part of that counter submitted by the NFL Players Association. Voluntary off-season workouts would be reduced from the current 14 weeks to 5 weeks or 20 days, significantly reduced contact between players during training camp with four practices a week consisting of helmetless and padless periods, two in-season bye weeks, right now there's one in-season bye week, expanded rosters from the current 53 to 56 or 57 in addition to practice squads, increased prorated salaries for players under contract, and a reduction of the amount of games players need to become vested to qualify for post-career health care and pension benefits. Griggs, you know what? I think this is a very, very reasonable and, you know, it's a good faith counterproposal. I think it's a very reasonable proposal that the NFL should take very seriously if they don't want to lose games next season. Look, the NFL players are open to playing 18 regular season games instead of 16, that's a huge step. That's more revenue for the owners, and I think it gets them to where they want to be financially moving forward. So I think these are very
2: reasonable requests on behalf of the players. I couldn't agree more. I think it's a a real good setup. I think it's something they have to look at and really... Um, probably do, because it's something that I think the players are going to accept better than, you know, you know we're going to just kill the season or your contract. It, it's workable, and I think it's a good move.
3: Well, the other thing does, it does from a PR standpoint, if I look at this as a media member and we don't have a season next year or we have a prolonged work stoppage, I blame this on the owners. Because I look at this proposal and I say, you know what, this is pretty reasonable. If the owners couldn't meet the players halfway, that's on them. Our next headline... Tiger Woods. Boy, we heard from him a lot more this week. He was making the rounds on radio. He wrote a first-person piece for Newsweek, and he's on Twitter. Tiger actually opened an account on Twitter back in July, but he didn't start tweeting regularly until this week. Griggs, you know, I think when we watched this, we were burned by Tiger before. We thought he was something that he obviously wasn't. He was prepackaged to us. Now, I think we're all taking the wait-and-see approach. Is he going to be authentic? Is he just doing this to try and re-embrace fans, re-embrace sponsors, show that he's a family guy, show that he's you know able to communicate and share some of his thoughts on Twitter? Chris Mike, who's our social media expert, writes for our blog on SportsBusinessRadio.com, wrote a great piece that you should definitely check out on SportsBusinessRadio.com about Tiger Woods. Because Tiger... Not really one of the first people you think of when you talk about accessibility and letting you peek behind the curtains into his world. So Twitter is one of those vehicles that lets you do that. Chris Mike breaks down Tiger. If this is gonna work for
2: you, social media, here's what you need to do for fans to engage with you and to believe you. Good move for Tiger um, in the ESPN interview. You know, he's saying about Twitter. I got to connect with my fans, and that's what he needs to do because he's got to rebuild his image with the fans because that's what that's what made him famous in the beginning. You know, is being a good golfer and being a fan favorite. And as Chris Mike points out, it can't be every once in a while. There's got to be regular
3: tweets. Hey, retweet some things from your fans, follow more than just six or seven people. There's a science to social media. If Tiger doesn't embrace that, people are going to go, you know what, I don't believe it. Maybe he's not even the one tweeting. Maybe he has a, a ghost tweeter. Our next headline, did you see Michael Vick's game on Monday Night Football? Holy cow. He accounted for 413 yards of total offense, six touchdowns. The Hall of Fame asked for his jersey after the game. I mean, he did things that we've never seen on a football field. He led the Eagles to a 59-28 blowout of the Redskins. Now, here's why this is sports business. A, did you notice? MikeVick.com launched on Wednesday, or actually Thursday of this week. No coincidence there that it happens to come off of his biggest game of the year. Mike Vick's a free agent at the end of this season. I'm guessing that if he keeps playing games like he played on Monday or anywhere near that level... He's going to get a nice contract from someone. He made $2 million in 2009. He has a base salary of $3.75 million this year. He's got $2 million in incentives this year. Looks like he's on his way to reaching those incentives. But Griggs, Mike Vick owes $20 million to creditors, so the money he has in his bank account right now isn't going to pay for that. He needs someone to give him a big contract, thus, he needs to keep having games like he had on Monday Night Football.
2: Yeah, incredible game, big for him, big for the NFL, so fun to watch, you know, something a little different, spreading the defense out, spreading the offense out, the guy was all over the field. I mean, it was just, he probably felt like he was out playing, you know, pickup ball, just running around with a bunch of kids. I mean, he was dominating.
3: He did everything that a quarterback could do. He threw, he ran, he did everything. Our last headline of the week, the pay-per-view numbers for Manny Pacquiao's fight with Antonio Margarito. What a beatdown Pacquiao gave Margarito. 1.4 million buys at 54.95 a pop. Total sales of $77 million. Pacquiao was already guaranteed $15 million for the fight. He gets to tack on $10 million more because of those strong pay-per-view numbers. Coming up next, Rand Gatlin, the president and founder of Synergy Sports. We are going to peel back all of the layers of the Cam Newton investigation at Auburn. That's coming up next. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back.
0: Podcast this show and any other past SBR episode at sportsbusinessradio.com. Back with more SBR after this.
3: or at 503-701-2215 if you're interested in becoming a sponsor of Sports Business Radio. Back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. My guest is Rand Gettlin. We've had him on the show before. He's the president of Synergy Sports. Rand, thanks for joining us here on Sports Business Radio.
1: Brian, thanks for having me. It's great to be back. So,
3: we've had you on a lot lately. We talked about all the Reggie Bush stuff. Now, Cam Newton, he is in the headlines and I don't know that we've seen anything like this before because it's happening in real time. You've got the guy who's the leading candidate for the Heisman Trophy. You've got Auburn, the team he plays on, that is sitting at the number two spot in the BCS and is tracking towards a spot in the national title game. It's just—it's unlike anything I've ever seen before in uh, college sports.
1: You know, it's—it's it's something that is absolutely unprecedented and. You know, I made a comment a while back. Cam Newton was clearly the Heisman frontrunner, and, and arguably is still so, uh, You know, as nothing has been proven uh, definitively. Uh, that being said, the comment that I made was, how incredible is it that we may have two kids essentially lose their Heisman in the same year? It's never occurred before. Reggie Bush uh, was about to have his stripped and ended up giving it back, and Cam Newton was the clear front-runner and probably not going to have too many people come close to him, and he's going to end up having to uh, probably lose out on his as well. It's it's almost unfathomable.
3: You work with schools, universities, to help their student-athletes and to help them with compliance. Let's talk about some of the letters of the law here for a minute. What's being alleged is that Cam Newton's father, or people close to Cam Newton, had conversations about pay-to-play, payments for Cam Newton to go to, in this case, Mississippi State, where he didn't end up going. Now, I think a lot of people don't understand how this works, but Rand, it's kind of like prostitution. You don't have to be caught in the act. Just soliciting a prostitute will get you arrested. In this case, even if Cam Newton didn't accept money, just the conversations taking place is an NCAA rules violation. Explain that if you can.
1: Well, so here, this is probably, I think, the most interesting aspect of this entire situation. The truth of the matter is there is no explicit law that deals with solicitation by itself. Now, what you would assume when you're reading between the lines, if you look at what the NCAA's last statement was, it was that the student athlete can be punished uh, in a situation where solicitation has occurred, even if it's on uh, his parents, even if his parents are the ones who, who did it. So long as the player has uh, some level of responsibility. So they're looking at multiple factors, including the level of responsibility, his level of knowledge. Well, Cam's knowledge hasn't been proven here as yet. So the actual bylaw the NCAA is likely to use in order to to bring down the hammer, if they do, is 10.1, which is unethical conduct. And the way it reads is it says unethical conduct by a prospective or enrolled student athlete or a current or former institutional staff member may include but is not limited to the following. Now, that is the piece that I haven't heard anybody discuss that is the absolute most important piece, may include but is not limited to. That's their catch-all. That allows them to expand upon what has been explicitly listed under 10.1, which is a number of things. But essentially what it's saying is if you lie to us or you engage in unethical conduct as a prospective or active student-athlete, we have the right to sanction you, uh, put you on probation, take away your eligibility, et cetera. And it depends on the circumstance.
3: See, but here's the thing that's really interesting is, and this is not only going to affect this case, it's going to affect all future cases. If Cam Newton can prove that he didn't know these conversations were taking place, how can you hold him responsible for the actions of those around him? And furthermore, in the future if you have a student-athlete who has some sort of uh, situation like this arise and they go, you know what, I didn't know my dad was having those conversations. I didn't know my AAU coach was having those conversations. I didn't know my pastor at church was having those conversations. How is the NCAA supposed to hold the student-athlete responsible?
1: Yeah, I mean, well, that, that's the that's the billion dollar question, right? We've got we've got uh, the NCAA. Obviously, has a vested interest in ensuring that there isn't a tremendous loophole uh, in their bylaws. Right now, it's debatable whether it's a loophole or not. They certainly have the ability to interpret that piece of legislation as they choose. It is a bit of a stretch at this point to hold the kid responsible for the actions of his parents if he had no knowledge. And if you think about it from uh, the standpoint of what kind of a precedent does it set. Imagine if you have a 17-year-old kid who's coming into college, his father shops him, because Cam was a JC guy, so he's 20 years old, so we're going to hold him a little bit more responsible. But what if you have a 17-year-old, his father or mother or handler or whoever is shopping him, the kid actually has zero idea, uh, and yet we have this precedent with Cam where you can get in trouble despite the fact that nobody's been able to prove knowledge. Dangerous, and certainly something from a po- public policy perspective that troubles me.
3: Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's interesting because Let's remember, these are young kids. I mean, we talked about that a few weeks ago with Mark Emmert, the president of the NCAA. These are not professionals. And the thing that I see time and time again, and you've seen it as well, spending time around high school athletes, there are people, I'll call them leeches, that attach themselves to these kids and say, you know what, this kid's going to take me where I want to go and I'm going to use him as my pawn in this scheme to get money, to get power, to get Whatever, And then on the flip side, you've got boosters who a Cam Newton is a difference maker. And if I'm at a school and I'm a booster and I've got my little slush fund and let's take our little naive hats off, everyone, and pretend, not pretend that there aren't those funds that exist and there aren't boosters that have these slush funds that will say, look, if we can get that guy, I got the money. It's just a mess, Rand.
1: Yeah, I mean, it is a tremendous mess. And, you know, you made a great point there, Brian. Uh, you, nobody's really discussing the booster aspect of it. Uh, Sports by Brooks put out a piece yesterday. It was really fascinating. Very long, and he used nothing but source material that's available to the public right now on the Internet. But essentially what he does is he weaves together a case where he points out a significant number of the board of trustees members, the individuals who run not only the athletic department decisions at the end of the day or at least, at least have veto power over it, uh, but the individuals, who also have uh, major control over the school and have been alleged to, uh, although I'm not sure this has been proven, to have forced a president of the university out at some point uh, over some athletic disagreements and then also academic disagreements. These people have tremendous money. Now, one of the uh, board members over there is a gentleman who used to own uh, one of the And when of, you say over the there, let me things. stop you for a minute. Over there, is
3: it Auburn, correct?
1: Auburn, yes. Sorry about that. So, so at Auburn, uh, one of the uh, high-ranking members of the board of trustees, who's been on the board of trustees since 1983, he was put there by a governor, um, you know, back in, in the early 80s. This gentleman was uh, the CEO and chairman of one of the largest banks uh, to have ever failed in the history of the United States of America. It was the largest bank to fail in 2009. He's worth millions upon millions, if not hundreds of millions of dollars and has given significant money to the university. You know, it is uh it is widely known in the state of Alabama that this guy exerts tremendous influence over not only Auburn athletics, but also the school in general. Now, what happens when individuals who are he has someone who's the second largest shareholder uh of his bank before it failed, uh, was the largest casino owner. In Alabama, and what do you know? There was a mayor arrested, and I believe it was the Birmingham mayor, who was arrested uh, in part because he was hitting uh, fifteen, twenty, thirty jackpots a year at this guy's uh, casino. Now, these, uh, the casino owner has been uh, arrested and indicted on federal bribery counts, um, or, or something to, to that effect. And all of these people had a hand in Auburn athletics. That specific booster, the, the casino owner also gave a million dollars to Auburn a few years back for their stadium. So, you know, this is not just agents. This is not just handlers. Now we're getting into boosters and individuals who are running or ostensibly running uh, the board of trustees of a major university.
3: Well, and let's say it as it is as well. With boosters and people who have millions of dollars, it's a whole lot easier to hide the money. It's a whole lot easier to launder the money that's being paid to these athletes. It's different than you know if you're a, a marketing rep or even an agent who doesn't have those millions of dollars in the bank, right?
1: No question, And you know what's going to be extremely fascinating to watch play out? We are still at the, at the beginning of a very long tale. On this Auburn situation. Uh, there's enough writing on the wall to uh, firmly believe this is going to play out over a long period of time, and it's going to include multiple layers of complexity. So, you know, who else is involved? Is it just boosters? Are they rogue boosters that were operating outside the specter of the university and the university power structure for 30 years? Or are we to believe uh, that, you know, that that, that can actually occur? You know, I don't think so. I think somebody had to figure something out, especially, you know, you go on Google and, and, and you look up these people, uh, and kind of dig into their backgrounds. There's plenty of stuff, uh, on the World Wide Web, um, not, not including the stuff that you can get behind the scenes that would seem to indicate you might have wanted to keep a little bit closer reins on these guys.
3: We're joined by Rand Gettlin. He's the president and founder of Synergy Sports. We're talking about Cam Newton and the ongoing investigation that could impact his Heisman candidacy, as well as Auburn's run to a national championship. Again, Rand, you know, this is happening in real time. So you're talking about this could be a long investigation, could take a while for this to play out. I've got to think the worst nightmare of the NCAA— And of the Heisman Trust is if Cam Newton wins the Heisman Trophy, and if Auburn goes on to win the national championship, and then months later both of those have to be vacated—a nightmare.
1: Yeah, it'd it'd be a tremendous nightmare. And you know, interestingly, since you bring up the uh, the Heisman Trust, they recently sent out their ballots. For this year well we know the crux of the reggie bush issue why he ultimately was going to be stripped of it was because there was language on the ballot that indicated he had to be in compliance with ncaa bylaws and there was an integrity clause and a couple other things that were essentially catch-alls as well well interestingly enough those aren't on the new heisman ballots as i understand it interesting uh, people have received theirs and, and and you know what you know the language is gone fascinating so clearly they've contemplated uh their worst nightmare they came close with reggie but it was after the fact so they were given a little bit of a reprieve especially when he gave it back but with cam i mean we have no idea how this is going to play out how are the voters going to vote are they really going to take away uh his ability to win this trophy based on speculation which is all it is at this point it's damaging yeah
3: and let me defend cam newton for a moment here first of all in this country we are innocent Until proven guilty. He has not been found guilty of anything. And even at the end of the day, it sounds to me like the people around him may be more guilty than he is. And I'm not trying to give him a free pass. But the other thing here, and this is part of the story, Rand, that is totally slipping through the cracks. There are privacy laws in the United States, privacy laws at institutions, universities that protect students, just like we have medical privacy laws and legal privacy laws. Cam Newton's privacy laws seem to have been violated. That is a big offense for someone, whether it's Mississippi State, whether it's Florida, whether it's just someone who had an ax to grind, but it's all too coincidental that this story Arose a few weeks ago just as Auburn's running for the national title and Cam Newton's making his way towards the Heisman Trophy.
1: Right, and, and I think that is a tremendously important point. You know, at the end of the day, you know, we really have to be concerned about what, is the, what, what are the actions we're taking today? What kind of an impact do they have on the future? And what you just pointed out, whoever it was that, that uh, violated these, these federal privacy laws and released uh, information relating to Cam Newton's uh, alleged cheating uh, problems at, at Florida, which included you know a, um, a paper that he plagiarized, another one that he put his name on uh, that he bought offline, etc. You know, at the end of the day, these are young kids, and certainly we want to hold them responsible for their actions uh, when they cross the line. But at the same time, they're alleging uh, you know impropriety when he was 18, 19 years old. How many of us can look ourselves in the mirror and say that we never did anything uh, that crossed the line when we were that age? You know, very few of us. That's not to condone his actions, but more so to point the spotlight on uh, the adults. There are adults here who are putting a kid out there in the line of fire, and the question becomes, why? Why would you do that to this kid? Why is that uh, a, a central fact uh, to this case, to prove that he, uh, he has some kind of, uh, you know, moral, uh, I guess he, he's missing some moral, uh, compass. And, you know, I don't know. I don't know why that matters. And, and at the end of the day, what will be fascinating to me is not what the NCAA does to CAM so much as will the feds come in and figure out who released this information? Will they, in, will they enforce the laws that they have on the books to protect student privacy so that down the road, uh, kids aren't aired out like this? Uh, in the future. It, it's just not central to, to what we're talking about. We're talking about athletics, the Heisman, uh, Auburn proper, Mississippi State boosters, etc. Cam's academic record doesn't seem to me to be central to any of that. More
3: of my conversation with Rand Gatlin coming up next. You're listening to Sports
0: Business Radio. We'll be right back. Stay in touch with SBR on Twitter, twitter.com slash SBRadio. Napoleon
3: This is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. Every championship team has one thing in common, good coaching. And I want to be your coach, your media coach. When I'm not hosting Sports Business Radio, I team with former Nike PR director Lee Weinstein to form New School Media Coaching. New School Media Coaching uses a fresh and interactive approach for educating our clients about dealing with today's media landscape. Whether you're an athlete, a coach, or a front office executive in the sports or business world, We'll prepare you for communications with the masses in today's social media world where everything is on the record. And just like any good coach, we'll help you practice your new skills and we'll be there to provide constructive feedback every step of the way. With a combined 40 years of experience, we're veteran coaches, but we use a new school approach. For an overview and a list of our services, visit newschoolmediacoaching.wordpress.com or email me. At Brian at SportsBusinessRadio.com. The website is SportsBusinessRadio.com. Now back to my conversation with Rand Gettlin, the founder and president of Synergy Sports. All right, Rand, let me paint a picture for you. You've just been hired by Auburn and by Cam Newton to come in and try and advise them going forward in this debacle. What do you do?
1: oh man uh... it's a difficult situation i i think uh... it's it's almost a given they're going to end up facing uh... some sanctions and so you know this is a question that we're asking currently involved in helping to draft some legislation uh, state-based legislation uh, to create some of the strongest agent laws in the country. So I would probably uh, work with Auburn to get in touch with state legislature and strengthen the UAA laws first and foremost uh, in order to keep all of the bad elements out or to hold them responsible once they get caught. That is to ensure that uh, if there are coaches that are finding themselves uh, in the pockets of agents, you want to make sure that they have the ability to be punished. In North Carolina, uh, the coaches that were alleged to have been involved there. We haven't heard anything on that yet. Not sure if we ever will. Uh, so that's something to watch. But with the kids, you know, essentially what you need to do here is get uh, a hold of uh, the kids and their parents early, when they're 17, 18 years old, when they're coming into the system, because as soon as you touch foot on campus and you are an Auburn football player, you are akin to a God. Uh, it is Alabama. It is the Holy Grail of football. And you, know, you go down there, uh, Auburn and Alabama, you go down there and you step foot on campus and there are people offering you things when you're 18 years old and you're receiving virtually no education other than stay away from uh, people giving you money. It's easy to fall into traps. People buying you meals, people buying you drinks that you don't necessarily know are connected to boosters or agents, et cetera. So we would institute a comprehensive, holistic uh, educational approach, and we'd we'd focus on our three pillars. It's education, empowerment, and counseling. It's not enough to just give these kids four or five hours of stay away from people that are trying to give you money, uh, you know, admonishing them to do so. You have to get in there and earn their trust. You have to make them realize, Cam Newton, why accepting $200,000, if you did or if your father did, is not in your long-term best interest. Mel Kuyper announced today that uh, that Cam Newton has cracked his big board. Well, let's assume that Cam Newton is a top 15 draft pick. He's going to get so much money above and beyond the $200,000 that he took that if he takes a hit, because people have questions about his character, ethics, or moral turpitude, it would not have been worth it, not, not even close. And, and not only that, the kid is stained for the rest of his career. This will never be forgotten. And, uh, you know, we'd really dig into the details, make sure we had everybody on board, coaches, administrators, teachers, etc. Uh, and, you know, it, it, would, it would take a long time to get it right. But uh, we'd work our tails off to get it there. So
3: let me back up a moment. And, you know, I always bring up the Duke lacrosse case, because everyone was so on board with convicting those players at Duke, and it turned out where they were found innocent. If we find out that Cam Newton legitimately did not know that his father was having these conversations about pay-to-play, you just talked about educating the players, how do you safeguard if you're a university or if you're a student-athlete from having those in your inner circle, having conversations that could ultimately, as you say, stain your reputation going forward and and ultimately cause you to be uh, ineligible?
1: Yeah, I mean, you have to, you have to work hard at, at that aspect, too. So we were talking about the parents, or the players, rather. But the parents are a huge part of our program. Parents, handlers, uh, whoever it is that the kid uh, sees as a mentor. We're going to reach out to them very proactive about that. We don't sit back and wait for them to come to us, which is I think what most universities do. They say we have these resources and the kids just don't use them. What are we supposed to do? Well, my answer is how about pick up the phone? You know, how about send an email? How about show up at their doorstep? There are ways to get these people to engage. Uh, and you know, quite frankly, uh, if you're speeding down the freeway and you know that the signposts say 55, uh, but you're driving 75 every day and you never see a cop, You know, the chances of you slowing down to the speed limit are slim to none. However, if there is a cop posted, uh, at mile intervals all the way down that road, I bet you, you go the speed limit. And it's kind of the same, uh, the same concept here. If you have eyes and ears on the parents, the kids, and anyone involved with the process at all times, It may drive some of the unscrupulous behavior underground, but it also takes away opportunities for that to happen as easily, and that in and of itself helps to protect the school some.
3: And I'm totally on board with your program and everything that you've said, but don't you think at some level, athletes and even the people around them, they think they're bulletproof. This isn't going to happen to me. I can send emails, text messages, have voicemails. No one's going to discover this. People just think because of who they are and because of the position they're in, They're not going to be the ones to get caught. And we've seen it time and time again, not only in college athletics. I mean, look at what happened with Tiger Woods this year and others. If you leave a trail, I don't care how big you are, you're going to get caught at some point, most likely.
1: Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, the truth of the matter is this. We we can never uh walk into a university and say, "Hey, we're we're your magic bullet. We can solve your problems." We can't. They need to work as hard as they can as well. And again, you look at this Auburn situation. We'll see how it unfolds, but it does not look good in terms of uh, you know, the levels of oversight uh that were in place to stop something like this from occurring. But, you know, the truth of the matter is you can't stop it all. But here's where I think uh you know, my ideological perspective differs from many. I really do believe in the power of personal relationships. I really do believe in the power of earning players' trust and developing, uh, you know, long term. Uh, deep relationships where they where they believe in what you tell them. You know, I had some people come into my life that helped me to get to where I'm at today, and I could have gone down a completely different path, and they gave them themselves to make that happen. So it's something that I've always thought about moving forward. I want to I want to pay that forward. I want to make sure that I'm taking the time to really give these kids all that I possibly can to ensure that they succeed. And many of them won't, but we've talked about this before. Right now, 78% of these kids leave the NFL, and within two years, they're bankrupt. Why? Because they don't have any education or limited education. Education. They don't have much uh, uh, in the way of empowerment, people trying to empower them to do the right things. And then they they also don't have any counseling to help them through the process. Well, what if we could reduce that to 50 or 40 or 30 percent? Certainly that would mitigate any potential damages that would occur for these guys down the road for their schools as well. Can't stop it all, but you can limit it.
3: How do you see this playing out? Again, this is happening in real time. The NCAA doesn't have the luxury of sitting back and saying, okay, let's wait for more information to come in because, again, the Heisman vote is coming up, and Auburn, if they win their two, uh, their next two games, and that's a big if because they've got uh, Alabama and South Carolina, and they find themselves in the national championship game, you know if they're in that national championship game, a lot of the conversation isn't going to be focused on the game. It's going to be focused on this investigation. What do you do if you're the NCAA and the BCS?
1: Yeah, That's a great question. I think the uh, NCAA, it's been reported, uh, warned uh, uh, Auburn about Cam Newton's eligibility issues. Basically what they're saying there is, hey, listen, we have some questions we think he may be ineligible. Now, most schools in most cases would sit that kid. The problem here is that we are all, like you said, we've got two games left in the season. Auburn is ranked number two in the country. They've got the Heisman front runner. Uh, I don't think Auburn has been this close to a national championship in quite a while. I know Tuberville went undefeated. I think he was 11-0 back uh, a while back. This this is as close as as they've gotten. You know, are they going to sit this kid? How much money do they stand to lose if they don't stand behind Cam Newton? And also, quite frankly, uh, if Cam Newton was ineligible uh, or is ineligible now, he was ineligible the entire season. So, from the business perspective, you know, why sit him? Because the only thing you're, you're risking is that the NCAA comes down harder on you when you end up in front of the committee on infractions. And I think that, uh, you know, it looks like, at least, uh, to the rest of us following this very closely, Auburn decided to roll the dice. They decided to go ahead and play them and let the cards fall where they may, but they are not going to yank the kid. They are not going to, uh, to take away their ability to at least hoist the trophy, uh, if, if they get a chance to do that. And, you know, it, it makes, some sense, I suppose, from a business perspective, but this is going to be an interesting case study down the road. What in the world is going to happen to Auburn? NCAA told him you should sit this kid They didn't sit the kid, and, uh, and you know, if he's ultimately found ineligible, man, I, uh, I would hate to be the people at Auburn trying to answer for my actions.
3: Yeah, so if you're legal counsel, and I'm no lawyer, you are, um, you, it's interesting the strategy that they've decided, and, and it just in very dummied-down terms, I think what they've decided is, look, Cam Newton didn't know about this. If his father was having these conversations, how are you going to penalize Cam for conversations that his father had? And they can play dumb, and they're hoping that there's no documentation or trail that was left that leads people to believe that Cam Newton did, in fact, know these conversations were taking place, if they were, in fact, taking place
1: exactly exactly it, it's uh and you know there there's a bunch of rumors, so i won 't get into too much of the speculation because it hasn 't been substantiated yet, but there there is is something out there saying that there were uh, a number of people at the University of auburn uh, or Auburn University rather who wanted to sit uh cam Newton last week, and then there were a number of people who did not want to and the more powerful faction won out. Uh, And, you know, it's a question that that we could spin off and and ask a million questions based off this one central premise, but the the bottom line is, you're right, they have a team of attorneys, they have a team of people who are risk management officials for them to tell them, hey, this is what we should do in this case for the best interest of the university. And for whatever reason, they decided that it would be prudent to allow the kid to play. And uh, in my humble opinion, I think it's going to come back to bite them pretty hard.
3: Last question, when I had you on earlier in the year, we talked about, the impact of the Reggie Bush violations on USC. If we look back six months from now, a year from now, and Auburn finds themselves in the same place as USC, and they find themselves losing scholarships, and you know just having a tainted program, you almost wonder now, was it worth it? Was it worth getting to the national championship? Was it worth, it, it almost seems to me like, Programs are willing to roll the dice, take the risk. Even if I get punished, if I'm in the national championship game, if I'm selling lots of T-shirts, if I've got boosters who are interested and they're giving me money because of this run that we're on, I'll take that risk.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, t- so to address it, you know, I don't think that Auburn will look anything like USC. I don't think they'll look anything like what UNC ultimately uh, ends up looking like. I think Auburn is is going to be, uh, in many ways, ground zero. If if this thing plays out the way that it looks like it could play out, this could be the and we you know it's it's strange because it's the second time we've said this this year because we said it about UNC as well. But this could be the most severe punishment we have seen since uh, since SMU got the death penalty, and I don't know how much of, of this is going to be substantiated, how much of, of the allegations are going to be proven. But I will say this, if it's just Cameron Newton, Cecil Newton, and uh, this rogue runner Kenny Rogers and the agent who's involved, uh, Ian Greengross, out of Chicago, Auburn will be okay. But if it starts spreading out, say there were other kids, say boosters were paying players, say that the administration should have known that this stuff was going on, say that the board of trustees at Alabama gave too much power uh, to this group of individuals uh, who were also interconnected, very interconnected on the business side, making millions of dollars in business transactions among themselves, you know, what's going to happen then? I cannot imagine a more damning case against a university than what has been laid out as potential uh, sanctions, or at least possibly against Auburn. I, I, I can't even think about
3: it. And just for people who don't recall the SMU case, what was the death penalty for them? So people know, okay, if Auburn got the death penalty, what would that look like?
1: Well their, their football program was disbanded. It was it. They, they, they didn't get to play football uh, for for a period of time, and and it was uh, and it was similar stuff: boosters paying kids, uh, et cetera. And and as we all know, uh, those of you who follow football. Uh, closely, college football closely. And how many of you heard of SMU before the last year or two under June Jones uh, playing great football? You know, none of us. And this happened back in the '80s. So the point is, it's you know the NCW People have, have uh, speculated that the NCAA would never give out the death penalty again. You know, again, we're we're looking out on the horizon. But if this Auburn case plays out half as badly as it looks like it may, with the FBI involved and all of these moving parts. I, I just I can't imagine a worse case that the NCAA has ever had to deal with publicly.
3: Rand, always very informative conversations with you. Thanks so much for joining us. How can people find you online? You're a great follow on Twitter.
1: Brian, thanks for having us. You guys can follow us uh, at at Synergy Sports at Synergy without an E-S-Y-N-R-G-Y sports. And you can find us online at SynergySports.com. On Twitter, uh, we're pretty straightforward. We definitely don't pull any punches. And uh, if you're looking for interesting commentary on the stuff on a running basis, feel free to follow. And uh, please don't blame me for uh, bombing your timeline. I do that frequently.
3: (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, I'm sure we'll be catching up with you as this all unfolds at Auburn. Thanks again ran brian thanks it's been awesome talk to you soon thank you you're listening to sports business radio we'll be right back
0: stay in the know at sportsbusinessradio.com podcasts blogs and more sbr will be right back
3: fire flame flame fire flame
0: Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is NBA
3: Commissioner David Stern. I thought you did a wonderful job of handling the game ball situation. You listened to your players and the owners, and ultimately, I thought you got it right. What did you learn from that experience?
1: It probably pays to go the extra step to build a consensus, even
3: though you don't think there's any other view that makes sense. My guest is Jack Nicholas. What are the main lessons the game of golf can teach us if we pay close enough attention?
1: You develop relationships with people. I think you play 18 holes of golf with somebody, you get to know them pretty well.
3: We're joined by Bill Hancock. He's the executive director of the BCS.
1: What we want is for the best Two teams to play in the championship game. Beyond that, I'm not sure it's really fair to say what's good for the BCS or what's or what's bad for the BCS.
0: Follow us at sportsbusinessradio.com and on Twitter at SB Radio. This is Sports Business Radio.
3: Nike and Oregon State men's basketball team are going to unveil turquoise basketball uniforms in honor of Native American Heritage Month on Sunday. The uniforms are the focal point of a unique partnership between Oregon State and Nike N7 that is focused on creating awareness for the need to bring access to sport for Native American and aboriginal youth as a means to improve their lives and create positive change in their communities. I've been a little bit involved with this in the past. It's a great initiative. Um, If you want to see pictures of the uniforms or read more about this initiative, go to my Twitter feed. at. S.B. Radio, and you'll see the link to the press release. It's up at NikeBiz.com. Interesting stuff there. Griggs, I want to give a little bit of a shout-out to Greg Oden. We've had him on this show before. He learned this week that he's going to miss the remainder of of the NBA season, it's his third surgery in three years. We all know he was the number one pick in the NBA draft. He's a good kid he doesn't deserve this kind of bad luck and uh, you know there's a lot of people that want to ping on the blazers or ping on him for his injury history or for the blazers taking him instead of Kevin Durant. but you know what he's a young man he didn't ask for any of this, and uh you know, remember. Coming back from these types of injuries, really, really tough. So just like we talked about Cam Newton earlier in the show, he's a young man playing college football, a lot of stuff going on around him. Same thing with Greg Oden. Young man, 22 years old, lots going on around him. Now you're asking him to come back from the third major injury in three years. I wouldn't wish that on anyone.
2: Yeah, I saw the headline. It's just like, you you hurt for the guy. You just feel so bad for the guy because he wants to be you know, so big for this city, uh, poor city of Portland, and, and just the team. And it's just not happening right now. So, you know, before you knock on Grego
3: and remember, he's a person. And, uh, you know, he's doing his best to get back out there. All right. Lots of thank yous on our show this week. Rand Gatlin, the president and founder of Synergy Sports. Great conversation with him about Cam Newton. Our show staff, Brian Griggs, Josh Blank, Darren Peck, Ron Barr, James Harrison, Doug Zanger. Our sponsors, the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon, Kalkov Bikes, and New School Media Coaching. A podcast reminder, you can catch our show on demand via podcast every week. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com, click on the podcast page, or look for the iTunes icon on the front page of sportsbusinessradio.com. For Brian Griggs, I'm Brian Berger. Have a fantastic week, and we'll talk to you next week right here on Sports Business Radio. or at 503-701-2215 if you're interested in becoming a sponsor of Sports Business Radio.